Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Since the dawn of time, about 60 billion people have walked on planet Earth. Of those 60 billion people, only a handful have made any real lasting impression. In that handful of people, one stands far above all of the others. His name is Jesus. Jesus never wrote a book, and yet millions of books have been written about him. Jesus never painted a picture, and yet the world's greatest art has Jesus as its source for inspiration. Jesus never raised an army, and yet millions of his followers have fought and died for him. Jesus never traveled very far from his birthplace, and yet his testimony has gone around the world. Jesus only had a handful of followers, and yet today over 30% of the world's population follows him. To ignore Jesus is disastrous. To reject Jesus is fatal. But to know Jesus is to love him. To love him is to trust him. To trust Jesus is to be radically, dramatically, and eternally changed by him. The most important question, then, that we can ever ask is this. Who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? That's the name of our sermon series for Advent and Christmas. Who is Jesus? Matthew wants us to know. That's what Matthew's genealogy is all about. He writes it so that we can know Jesus and who he is. Today we begin with this truth. Jesus is the son of David. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, and Jesse, the father of King David. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ, says St. Matthew. Jesus is the son of David, and David is a king. Well, that makes Jesus the king. When we confess that Jesus is the king, we dare not confuse him with American politicians. While both are rulers, both are very different. American politicians make big, crazy promises, don't they? Here are just some of the more recent ones. In 2004, John Edwards said, We will stop diabetes, Parkinson's, and Alzheimer's. In 2012, Newt Gingrich said, We will put a colony on the moon by 2020. In 2012, Michelle Bachman said, I will pull American troops out of Libya and Africa. Politicians will say almost anything to get elected, won't they? And I didn't even mention anything from this past election cycle. In America, we're accustomed to leaders who say what the public wants them to say. 
No one's campaign slogan is slow, arduous change or realistic compromises. No, we want leaders who can promise the moon, or at least a colony on the moon. However, when we look at Jesus, we see a completely different kind of leader, a different kind of king. Jesus is the promised king. As Matthew said, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When we hear the term Jesus Christ, we sometimes misunderstand it. Christ is not Jesus' last name. When Jesus went in for a physical, the doctor didn't say, okay, let's see here, last name Christ, first name Jesus. No, Christ is a title. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. The Old Testament foretells of a coming Messiah, a king who would be anointed with the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's mission. The Messiah would come from the line of David. He would be born in David's city and sit on David's throne. Matthew labors to demonstrate that Jesus is this king, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of David. When Matthew writes his gospel, Israel had been without a legitimate king for hundreds of years. And now, Matthew declares, a king has finally come to sit on David's throne, and it's Jesus. Matthew hammers this truth home by citing ten specific Old Testament promises, writing that what was spoken might be fulfilled. Matthew says this over and over again. Matthew, Matthew cites the Old Testament ten times directly and alludes to it over 250 times. Jesus is indeed the promised king. And Jesus is also the compassionate king. Jesus didn't come to drive out Israel's enemies. Jesus came to bring in outcasts. That's evident in Matthew's genealogy. In the ancient world, people traced their ancestry through their father. So it comes as no surprise then that Matthew's genealogy is predominantly male. However, it isn't exclusively male. Did you notice that Matthew also mentions four women? There's Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse, and Ruth in verse 5, Bathsheba in verse 6. Matthew doesn't highlight any of Jesus' connections to Israel's matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, or Rachel. All four of the women in Matthew's genealogy are outsiders to Israel. Tamar was a Canaanite. So was Rahab. Ruth was a Moabite, and Bathsheba was a Hittite, like her husband, Uriah the Hittite. Each of these women were outsiders to Israel. Moreover, each of these women had a stigma attached to her. Tamar was dishonored by her brother-in-law. 
Later, she deceived her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she could conceive children. The Bible's not always PG-13. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. Bathsheba committed adultery with King David. Ruth once worshipped Chemosh. The Jews expected a Messiah who would come, drive out their Roman oppressors, and crush the nations to establish God's rule. But at his first coming, Jesus does not come to judge the nations. He comes to save the nations. Jesus brings outcasts home to God. And he removes the shame of marginalized people like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. This is a preview of the rest of what Matthew's gospel has in store. Who does Jesus spend his time with? Outcasts. Jesus gets close to the diseased, to the people who were quarantined from society, and Jesus touches them. An unthinkable act in first century Israel. He gets close enough to them to contract their diseases. So did you notice that three of the four women in Matthew's genealogy were sexually exploited? According to research, one in four women and one in six, six men will be sexually abused or exploited at some point in their lives. I know that some in this church carry deep wounds in this area of their lives. And often these wounds are deepened by the same, the, sh the shame that others around us inflict upon us. Jesus welcomes and heals people who carry these wounds, even the unnecessary wounds of shame. And that finally includes all of us. The ugly shame. The haunting shame. Jesus not only takes away our guilt, that's sin done by us, but Jesus also takes away the shame. That's sin done to us. We don't have to drink our shame away. Work our shame away, explain our shame away, eat our shame away, cry our shame away, or bury our shame away. Jesus isn't a king who sits on his throne and says, try harder. No, Jesus is a king who descends from his throne filled with compassion. Jesus identifies with us in the pit of shame. In our darkest point, when we feel the ugliest, most despairing, Jesus says, I love you. What other people said and thought and did to us does not define us. We do not have to live in shame. We aren't worthless. You are not worthless. You are not damaged goods. You are clean. You are whole. You are His. There's outside help. Jesus 
is the compassionate king. And Jesus is also the rejected king. To the Jewish elites of his day, Jesus was the wrong kind of king. He lived in the wrong place, associated with the wrong people, preached the wrong message, appointed the wrong leaders, carried out the wrong mission, and offered the wrong redemption. Who ever heard of a crucified Savior? Only those who have heard of Jesus. The whole thing came to a head on Good Friday. Matthew also writes about this. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. But risen on the third day, Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is what we would expect of a king, to have all authority. As our King Jesus makes demands, of us. After all, Jesus the King has all authority in heaven and on earth. But before Jesus makes any demands of us, that's not what he came to do to bring more law. Before he demands of us, Jesus comes to save us. Jesus dies for us, lives for us, rises for us. Jesus gives everything. For us, that is a king who is worth following all the days of our lives. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Who is Jesus? Jesus is our king that we follow all the days of our lives. Just ask Matthew. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.